All right. Well, welcome back to the Temporal Eternal podcast. We are so stoked that you are with us. Uh, Once again, Temporal Eternal is all about having eternity in the forefront of our minds, right? That, you know, we believe as Christians that there is uh, eternity in heaven with Jesus and that within our decision making, within our priorities, that we should be thinking uh, about eternity and not just the temporary things. And we have a special guest joining us today, uh, Pastor Daniel. Uh, he is um, the associate pastor at Reveal Church uh, out in Surprise, El Mirage area, Arizona. This is actually uh, my home church where I attend um, since uh, we, we kind of checked a couple of churches when we moved here and we really just felt like God drawing us to this church. So it's been a huge blessing to us um, in our time of really stepping away from uh, full-time vocational pastoral ministry. And him and, and uh, Pastor Marty, the senior pastor, have been just a really blessing to, to me and me and my wife, Azzy. So, uh, Daniel, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. My pleasure. My, thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man, um, we're we're stoked we're stoked to have you, and uh, we have a we have a fun topic today. Myself, uh, obviously, Daniel, and and then Matt is with us, and uh, I wouldn't say a fun topic, but a really really uh, kind of interesting and deep topic, which is just um, which is the the role of the father, right? And just um, how you know God has set up the family unit, right? And how more and more like you know you we can see that in different ways the family unit has. Uh, been attacked, um, I would say, at the very least spiritually, right? And um, and how prevalent fatherlessness is. Um, I have a couple statistics to start us out. And um, the first one is, according to U.S. Census, uh, Census Bureau, uh, 19.5 million children, more than one in four, live without a father in the ho- home. And that was in um, 2018. And so th- it's a staggering statistic. Uh, my father... Uh, personally has um, worked in the prison system. I remember when I was a teenager, I was such a punk guys and I'd be like, yeah, my dad's in prison. And they'd be like, what? And I'm like, I'm just kidding. He's, he's a prison pastor. But I just like, I had to like, I had to like really have fun with it. But my dad, my dad, <laughs> but my the street my, cred, street that's cred, that's street cred, bro. Especially where I'm from, I'm from Brockton, bro. I'm from, I'm from hood. But, um, but my yeah. dad, um, he uh, he he told me he heard some different statistics because he did a lot of counseling with with men in the uh, prisons he worked at. But he said the vast majority um, didn't have a father. I looked up online and I've seen stats anywhere between I've heard anywhere between seventy to ninety percent. So eighty percent on average of inmates in uh, in prisons in the U.S. do not have a father. And so I th- I think the the lack of a father or that type of father-like role model in people's lives. And there's a lot of other statistics we could bring up. It has a great impact on, um, on, on people's lives. And, and I get the, you know, the political construct and, you know, we're not, we're not here to reduce the role of a woman or of a mother, but more Mm -hmm. of just emphasize that the role of a father is important. And, um, and I think that, um, unfortunately, not by a lot of people's decisions, it's happened like that. So I'd love to kind of just open it up first to you, uh, Pastor Daniel. Like, what are your thoughts about that, about that statistic? And, and maybe how do you approach your life, right, of, of being a father and then also right. even ministry in general? Well, and I think one of the biggest things for me is, is um, I'm a first-generation Christian. 
So not growing up in a Christian home, um, I used to go to a, a Baptist church with my grandmother every, you know, she took every Sunday. And I still uh, think back to, I don't know why we went over to my grandmother's house every single weekend. I, I'm not really sure if it was just my parents were working or they just want to get rid of us. Um, but I did grow up in a, in a home where my mother and father were married um, for about close to about 20 years until they did get divorced. But not growing up, growing up in a Christian home at, at a real young age at nine years old, I, uh, I remember being at the altar and just having this overwhelming um, just uh, experience that uh, God was real. And I, I know there was a little bit of fear of hell being young, but more of it was just this emotional experience that I had at a young age. And I remember being nine. Um, and so going home on the weekends and going home from uh, being a, uh, you know, being with my grandmother and, and then going back to the home where my dad would criticize a lot of what happened to the church and, and a lot of things about the church. And then when we would act up, he would kind of throw those things in our face and say, well, did they teach you that at Sunday school? And so this constant criticism of me trying to find my faith as, as a child, and then just what it was that my kind, kind of that, uh, that confrontation, the combating of it, that would come from, uh, from my father. So, um, you know, just, just over, over the years, whatever it was that God started in me, he continued to do in me. And so, so I guess just starting in that place of just knowing that uh, I am a first generation Christian. So I, I've never really seen this thing done before on what it looks like to be not just a, uh, you know, a good father, and a good husband, I, uh, but also just really what it looks like to be a spiritual leader in the home. And uh, that, that for me became one of the biggest challenges, especially as I continued on in my years as a father of what, what, did, what was it to be a spiritual um, leader in the home? And, and I think one of the things that we do as men in what I did was uh, I really played to my strengths. You know, I still, uh, through a lot of healing that God has done in my heart with my father particularly, is um, uh, I, I've just learned to really have a, uh, to, to create closure with some things that happened with what my dad wasn't for me. Um, I, I looked and saw a lot of the hand that he was dealt growing up as well. And, and so he was a great provider and uh, he, was, uh, he was great at discipline and disciplining us as well. <laughs> so I, I think, I, think I, I played to those strengths even as I became a father because that's, uh, that's all I'd ever seen. And so when it came to this whole spiritual leadership, it was just something that was completely foreign to me. Hmm. And uh, I started to find out later on how much uh, I lacked. And I guess if you could say the goal is to be whole, the goal is to be a whole man. And uh, many times what we do is we end up playing to the strengths of, of what we're good at because I can provide, I can, I can, um, uh, I provide for my family. I do well for my family, and 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 that's what I do well. And the other stuff, I'll just kind of, uh, I'll just kind of let that stuff be what somebody else fills in the blanks for me. But uh, just a deep conviction came later in life of of that I wasn't a whole man, and that was scary. <laughs> it was scary. Um, so and and so when you talk about the statistics, just going back into the initial question is. Um, we uh, we actually had uh, it was funny my my father had actually given me a um, he presented this to me and and uh, he presented it was it was it was on my birthday and it's this it's this uh, it's called the resolution mm. and and he actually signed it he signed it and it was it was a book off of uh, it was called the the resolution for men and he gave it to me and he didn't even really know 
what it actually meant, but he yeah. gave it to me and he, he did it like as a surprise for me and uh, just his intention of trying to do something. Um, I think he thought that that moment would create everything that all the gap of what he wasn't as a father and that he was just going to kind of hand that over to me. But when I began to read the book later on and, and just the way that it all worked out, it was uh, it, it, to begin to hear the statistics like you said and and to realize like not just the epidemic of fatherlessness, but also the um, in the church that that became even more alarming to me is that uh, the statistics, it was like 90 percent of young people that grow up in the church leave the church when they become of age and, and not not 20 percent, not 30 percent, not even 50 yeah. 50. But, but a huge percentage would leave the church. And um, so it just became this whole dynamic for me of, of trying to, um, I didn't want to become a statistic. And obviously the statistics were stacked up against me, but also the just the inability to know what this looked like was scary. Yeah. And I, and I think, and I think we should make a point too, as, as you're talking about that, about that within the church, there's, there's a, if we go and say, Hey, you know, in 2018, they said a quarter of the U.S. children um, didn't have fathers. I'd also venture to say as well, what about the fathers that lived at home but were ab absentee fathers, were uh, di didn't have um, Jesus as the forefront of their minds or, or really have a biblical example, right, of a father? I mean, yes, we are imperfect, but um, we should model ourselves as our heavenly father, right? And so, so, so if you think about it, like seriously, if you go, okay, a quarter, a quarter of kids, and it's probably worse <laughs> if it was 2018. So right. four years ago, it's probably, it's probably, it's at least that or more, more than likely. Um, that's what I would bet if I was a betting man. If the, if a quarter is fatherless, and how much are fathers that? Um, you know, aren't participating in the right way of discipling and mentoring their kids. And sometimes don't get me wrong. Sometimes it's not because of ill intent. It's just because of right. lack of maturity, lack of knowledge, prioritizing, um, career, prioritizing finances, prioritizing other things over the spiritual well being of their, their family and their kids. And that's, and that's, that's people in the church as well. I mean that, you know, let alone people who don't even have a Christian or spiritual background, right? Um, so I, I think the Some people prioritize church over their family. So, I mean, what'd you say? Some people prioritize church over their family. Totally, hundred percent. That, yeah, that's a lot of Christians. They put that out there, and it's like you do that, and it's like you're hurting your family just by going to church as much as you can and not paying attention to your family. Yeah. Mm. Right. And, and you know, I, I like what you say there, because I, I think that that's a, a great on ramp back to it, uh, Don, as well, where you say that that it, it was uh, my dad was there for me um, as a provider. But um, there was there was this this other part that this nurturing side that, that I never really thought that a man was supposed to be. And and I, I never really, you know, um, having emotional conversations. I remember I remember when my wife and I were dating, we had a, a really tough conversation uh, or we were looking at we were actually going to split up. And, and and I went over and I was I was in tears and and uh, I'm talking to my dad and I'm like, here's the point where my dad's going to give me the great advice. And 
And uh, I said, Dad, you know, I don't know what to do. And he, and I, I just poured my heart out in a rare moment. And my dad just looked at me and he goes, well, there's other fish in the sea. I'm like, thanks, Dad. Like, <laughs> I, appreciate, I appreciate that. So, so with having that kind of an emotional connection, you don't really realize it. I'm going to tell you this even, um, uh, Don, moving, you don't really begin to see, um, as your kids begin to get older and they begin to get into their, their teenage years and, and everything that you've done in those younger years starts to amplify as they get into 13, 14, mm-hmm. testosterone, all the hormonal changes. So they start to become really who they are. Um, when, when those things, it amplifies everything. That, so it's like if you built something and you poured into them and whatever they are, whatever they've experienced emotionally, whatever it might be, that ends up becoming what they are uh, and you see it. And, and uh, um, it, it becomes, and I think that's where a lot of times parents will say, well, hey, I, I you know, they're just going through the teenage years. And uh, I realized now after, you know, I have four children. So after going through with a couple of them and looking through the patterns, that that thirteen to seventeen year old range is such an important range. Yeah, of, it's pivotal. Uh, yeah, completely, completely. But I became that absent father because I was doing well with work. I was doing all the things I needed to do as far as work went, um, and I almost felt like they owed me because I was giving them everything that they had, and my perspective was off, and I, I really started to lose um, my family. So. Um, even being in church and doing all the right things, like you were saying, you know, it's it's like I think there's this identity crisis that we have sometimes in trying to find our identity, uh, and that's kind of where I found myself was just not really. Um, I tried to wrap myself up in my work and find my worth in my work, and uh, I was losing my family in the process. So, yeah, I find it I find it fascinating um, how when people can do that especially you know it can be men or women but especially men when it comes to work how we can feel entitled and how we can feel i remember a pastor telling me it was really phenomenal but he said um you know when 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 leaders fall into sin a lot of times they justify it because they they really they start to pity themselves and start to like feel entitled for well i do this and i do that and and like I, that's such an easy cop for me. Like I can easily do that um, with with Azzy and the kids. And I did do that because I was, you know, I was working or I was serving the Lord and I was doing this and that. And I I missed the perspective of like what is what is my role? Like, and my role is yes, is to provide for my family, but it's also to provide for them not just monetarily, right, but emotionally, right. And and don't get me wrong, like. I'm, I am not against if, if Azzy was the one that wanted to go be a lawyer, I'd be like, hallelujah, you know, girl, let's, let's do this thing. Well, I, I am not a traditionalist in that sense. Um, she wants to be a stay at home mom. So I support that dream. So don't, you know, hear me here. But what I'll say is that regardless, you know, there, there are some things that God has called us to do. Right. And there's needs in our families that are are important and those are emotional and spiritual support and they're also leading right and i think that's like one of the most important things is man like leading leading my kids you know i stepped out of ministry because i wasn't a good place right i i was i was not in the right place at all i I wasn't even aware of it i didn't even see it for a number of years but i look back and i i thank the lord that he he 
pulled me out of ministry because the path I was going was not a good one. And I potentially, you know, wouldn't be with Azzy, you know, I, I, I don't think because I wasn't prioritizing my marriage, even without like the sin stuff, you know, like the, the sin struggles that I was going through. I wasn't prioritizing my marriage. But then also I was I was I was laying the groundwork for my children to hate the church by by the schedule and by the prioritization of my life, my energy. I mean, here's here's a big one. And then I'll, I'll let you let you continue. Something I had to realize was I was a, I'm a big football fan and I especially in ministry. But I, I had this principle of I'm going to leave it all out in the field. I, you know, go to work, I leave it all out in the field. And for many, many years, and finally I did get to a place where I started to have a little bit of self-awareness of this, where I went, when I get done with work, that's halftime. That's that's halftime. And so I better have some emotional, spiritual uh, capacity, energy to continue with the rest of the game because that is only the first quarter or two. And what I would do is I would work my tail off, be exhausted. This, this, is, literally, this is literally what I did, Pastor Daniel. Be exhausted, not be engaging with my wife and kids, feel bad because I worked so hard and stressed out, played video games till one or two in the morning, not get enough rest and sleep, and then just repeat day after day after day and, and that's why I stopped. That's why me personally, I had to quit video games because the Holy Spirit convicted me. And I was like, that was escapism for me. It was, a, I love video games, but it was a stronghold for me. It was an imbalance. And I was, I wasn't properly resting and participating in my family, you know, and it, no matter what it is, I mean, it, it can easily happen that we can get so enthralled with something else. It doesn't have to be pornography or alcoholism. It could be a hobby. It could be work, but that it really takes away um, from what God really wants you to prioritize, which is your family. Right. Right. No, and, and I think that even to uh, um, the, uh, I, I really started to realize because even, even what you're saying is, is, you know, I, I had a lot, I was very disciplined. So I had a lot of things down. I was working, I was going to church. I was, I had all the boxes checked. And, and one of the things that I always said that I wouldn't become was, was, uh, just being being um, legalistic, and it was funny because a lot of times I always say that the things that you, if you're not careful, the things that you resent, you become. Mm. And uh, in my family, you, on the surface, anybody could see, you know, you got a good family, you got a good-looking family. They show up to church, they do these things. You guys, have, you know, you, man, they just have it, have it made, and and uh, you just think that you've arrived. Um, until I started to feel this. Um, this uh, and it was it was eight years ago, almost eight years ago, where I started to feel this tension between my oldest son and myself, and and I I sat down with my family, and I had made more money that year than I'd ever made in my life, and I sat down with my family at the table, and we all went around and I asked the question. I said, if we could gauge, if you guys could gauge your spiritual well-being, if you could put a number to it, I'm a scale of one to ten guy. Um, where would, where would you put it at? And, and be honest. And so all six of us, my, my three sons and my, my youngest daughter, we sat around the table and, and it was fours and fives and uh, it was honest. And, and so just understanding that, that on the surface, it looked like the spiritual well-being that we, we were doing well. 
But underneath the surface in those honest moments, it's like there, there's trouble on the horizon. And um, I, I think that the tension that I started feeling with my oldest son and I, sometimes you can chalk it off to just, we're just going through it. That's just, that's just what it is. And, and, and all these other excuses that, that you can kind of try to just brush it under the rug. And I saw the way that it affected my wife because she would see the tension between my son and I, and I felt it. Yeah. And it wasn't until I had an experience where um, I actually had, had uh, tore my, my rotator cuff. And, and I, I say that was a place where God kind of just turned my whole world upside down because um, he slowed me down. He, he slowed me down. Uh, it wasn't video games. It was I was a workaholic. Uh, I would work seven days a week. And I, you know, I, I like keeping score and I'm in sales. So, uh, you know, I, I, I beat every I beat people. And, and so I just had that was where I was. I was I was uh, um, uh, that, that was where I was going to my extreme in. and and to to look at it and say, well, well, I, there's a, I remember just having my hand. And it was my right hand, too. And I remember my, my right shoulder and, and just I, I felt totally debilitated. And I felt like God began to expose, show me um, who he really revealed a lot to me. And, and here's the big, this is the, the words that I remember is the image bearer. Because as men, we're called to be image bearers of who God is to our children. And so as children, we connect who God is based off of a lot of times who our fathers are or who they weren't. And so um, as I be the image bearer that I was being, I got to see the fruit of that. In, in an honest moment that my oldest son and I had uh, Israel and um, the tension got to an all time high and I, and I was really humbled and slowed down because of the injury that I had and God had kind of stopped me in my tracks. And uh, we had an honest moment and the things that he would say, um, all he ever wanted was my time. Mm. Um, I, I, had, I had tried to find my identity in, uh, in boxing and uh, I, I was training a professional fighter. And if you guys have seen the Rocky movies, the uh, Rocky movie with, with uh, Rocky and Tommy Gunn. And uh, when he, he began, every, his son keeps coming along and, and Rocky and Tommy are, you know, he, all Rocky cares about is reliving his life through Tommy Gunn. And then here comes his son. He's like, hey, dad, look at what I did. And he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, anyways, like I was saying, Tommy, and we talk about it all the time, that that was our story. That was who we were becoming. He was resenting me, and, and um, you know, and I was trying to find my identity. If I'm honest, I, I, yeah. I wanted to be somebody, and so he ended up um, just just to, and I'll flip it back to you. But to see that in that honest moment, you know, Israel would take. He took on boxing. He he was he was a really good boxer. Um, he would go and spar, and and he told me in his in our honest moment, he was 17 years old, and it was a point where I felt like things were. I was starting to lose him, and he said. He said, you know what I would say, Dad? He goes, I said that if my dad's God is anything like my dad, he's like, I don't want to have nothing to do with him. Wow. And, uh, you know, you want to talk about a reality check. Um, and, uh, and I still get emotional no matter how many times I, I, uh, I, I say it is, is um, when you start to realize that, that uh, you aren't a whole man and you don't know how to be a whole man, if you're really honest with yourself um, because of what I've seen and what I've had, you know, no one showed me how to live this out. It brought me to, I'd say, my greatest point of surrender in my life um, was saying, you know what, I can either choose to be a, uh, I can either choose to be a coward 
and uh, hand that down to my son. And that when he gets to a place where he has a family and he's being half the man that he needs to be, and he's unequipped, but he has to figure it out or I could spend the rest of my life trying to figure this out. And it was a pivotal decision for me, but I, I knew that the only way that I could become whole was by the one who was whole. And that's, that's, that's not spiritual talk. That's real talk. Yeah. And, uh, that's why I said, son, I'll spend the rest of my life. I was, I, till I die, I, I will do everything I can to give you the best image of what a father looks like so that you can emulate that to your children one day. So, yeah, I think, um, oh, go ahead. Were you going to say something, Matt? That's just so good. So good. Yeah, I, I think the kind of something you said, too, um, I, uh, I'm i really big on self-awareness, you know, because that was kind of the, the thing the last couple of years that really opened my eyes to, to my depravity, to my mistakes, to the things that I was going through. And um, I think you hit it on the head. I, I think that um, a lot of uh, men don't know, um, they don't realize kind of where they're off base. And also some of them just, it's an identity thing. Um, their identity is wrapped up in a certain appearance, performance, priorities, um, and in such a way. And the truth is too, and this is what's dangerous. This is what's dangerous in the church with religion. This is what's dangerous is that identity what happens is we start to uh, make decisions and start to prioritize things in our life and then eventually it just it starts to get gray and it doesn't it doesn't just become a priority but it, it really just becomes our lifestyle and then eventually it just becomes our reality and it's it would be foreign to think any different like for you. Cause I'm a workaholic too, like hundred percent. Um, and I still have to, I have to watch, watch that because I am very much performance driven. I'm super busy. I always have a lot of things going on and I'm like, really, I'm aware of it. And I'm just, you know, being careful. I have to be careful of it. Even when I am prioritizing my family the correct way, you can still do it. But, um, I'll say that like with a lot of people, it's just, it's foreign to them. Like it doesn't even, it's like another language, like to think about it. Right. And because whatever that is, Hey, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good father. I, I, you know, I, I do this or I'm, I am this for them. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess to ask you, and then I'd love to spend a few minutes on just the church and this issue in general, what, you know, what would you say are some for maybe somebody who is a father, maybe somebody who wants to become a father, maybe who's somebody who is, uh, maybe have the young child and it's their early on. What's some like red flags? What are some, because I love to give some application to, what are some things that, some questions they should be asking or some points in their life of reflection that they should be looking at and going like, okay, this might be something I need to be careful of if I'm noticing these things. Great question. Great question. And I think uh, here's, here's this phrase and it's one that stuck with me is, um, and, and like I said, we notice it as they start to get older, as they get 14, 15, 16. And what do we say is we say they, they just don't listen anymore. Um, they're hard-headed teenagers. And, and, and this phrase of whoever has their heart has their ear. Hmm. So once you've lost their ear, there's a direct connection between their ear and their heart. 
So the minute that they stop listening to you, and and, um, and, and it, it kind of changes the way they listen to where they have to listen, as they start to become teenagers, it's another it's another phase of parenting to where you start to kind of, it's like a transitional phase. And um, as you start to, you start to notice, again, if, if you lost their heart early, then you'll see it in, in the lack of influence. Because ultimately, when they listen, uh, every parent wants to have the max amount of influence because they're like, I care about you more than anybody else. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that that phrase of whoever would have their heart would have their ear. And, and it's one of the hardest things, I think, to really be, like you say, self-reflective and honest about is, is when your children aren't listening. What I've learned is that, especially over the last, I'd say, eight years, and uh, is that... I have to self-reflect and say, where is my responsibility in this? Because there is the, what is my role in this? And once Israel and I went through what we went through, and um, I told him, any time I felt like there was anything between us, and you feel tension, yeah, it's like I've got to we've we've got to squash this, yeah. and because I know that if it builds up long enough. I'm going to lose his ear once I lose his heart. So, you know, when your heart feels connected, you know, with your wife, you know, with in relationships, we know when there's there's tension in the relationship. And, and if we're honest, we know what with our children as well. But sometimes we're just really not willing. We just have almost kind of heard that, that, oh, yeah, well, it's just it, it's just part of parenting. Well, no, it's not. I, I don't believe that. And I've seen that is is that if there's tension between my children and I and it's not just about me removing the tension by them understanding what they did. Because that works when they're young, when they have to. But when they start seeing they got options in this as they get older, then they do it because they want to. And and so you've got to be really real. My favorite two words consistently in my family are, I'm sorry. When I miss it in any way, really, when I miss it in any way, when I say anything, when I do anything, when um, I, I am habitually, and not just I'm sorry to cover it, but I'm sorry. And I don't want to have to say I'm sorry for the same thing twice. Mm-hmm. I, I want to say I'm sorry. And next time I feel that, I don't want to do that, whether it be the way that I react or I always reflect internally and say. So So that phrase, going back to your question of whoever has their heart, has their ears. Like I, I've always and I've recognized it ever since with Israel. And then I have my other children. So I always recognize the tension. And when there's tension, I need to be attentive to the tension. And it's I can't sweep it on the rug. But I've got to I've got to be able to take it head on. And every time that I've done that, it's like that same tension that builds immediately yeah. can be gone, especially when I take responsibility for my part. That's really good. And I, I think too, I'd, I'd add to it is like, and I was talking to, um, you know, for last last week's podcast, I was talking to uh, Sean Sanseverino and we we're talking about a bunch of different things on um, reflection and God transforming our life. And, but there's one thing I added and I'm going to add it to this situation too is, um, and I can totally admit like where I've seen this, even with my oldest son, my oldest child, who's, uh, Donnie, who's five is, um, I, I am aware sometimes the issue is that I have created, and this kind of goes with you and I's str- actually all of us, Matt has a struggle too, actually is, is uh, workahol workaholism and, and, uh, and doing too much busyness. Um, I have set a stage and a standard of busyness in my life that makes it difficult 
for interruptions, not only by the Holy Spirit, but mm. by my family. And so not only um, are sometimes, yes, there's awareness issues, but sometimes there's awareness issues, but I'm like, oh, I'll get to it later. And then I don't right. prioritize it. Or I know my son wants to spend time with me, or I know we want to do this, but, and then we justify it by, hey, I'm doing the greater good because I have to prior, you know, provide for my family or I have to go take care of this or I have to go take care of that. And I'm in a point in my life right now, just with full transparency, is like my personal goal is to own a little bit of real estate, um, to uh, have a little bit more financial f- uh, freedom for my family. And it's, I have like a five to 10 year plan. That being said, as I've started going towards this and looking at this, I've also in the same side of things have said my son is five years old in 10 years he's 15 and by then i mean it's a couple more years and then you know he's he's there and so for me i have to straddle this this thing back and forth where it's hey i i am trying to work hard and save and invest and do things for the future of my wife and my children financially but also make sure that I am not neglecting their spiritual and emotional health and, and not only mm-hmm. growing our family financially, but growing them spiritually and emotionally. And if I just focus one way, I'm, I'm going to miss out. And I think finances are the reality of it. We're in the middle of inflation, you know, in the year 2022. Um, and those are some real challenges and real issues, but we need to be careful that we don't lose perspective because our time with our children is limited, right? Um, it really, really is. So, um, you know, I'd, I'd love to, you know, as we, as we kind of, you know, get near the end, but I, I want to spend a few more minutes on this is like, man, how do you approach ministry? Right. And just, you know, in the church where we, we see those staggering statistics and you work heavily with, uh, youth and young adults, and that's something that is is you know real, right? Is that you see kids from um, homes that are broken homes or, or challenging homes or, or whatever it may be? Um, what how do you approach ministry? Maybe how should the church, like what is what is the church's role? What should we do as a church uh, within these people? Because I, I and I will say this: I believe that the the issue of fatherlessness is a hundred percent a priority for those 18 or younger but also i believe it's just as much a hole in the heart for somebody who's 50 50 years old who has dealt with this and and have had this baggage their whole life as well so i i i think that that issue is it is um there's there's no age limit for that issue right so how how do you handle it and i think and then i'd say how how us as christians should be addressing that and stepping up to the plate um, you know, and I, I would say it was it was interesting because I um, and whether it be my wife, whether it be my children, uh, there was a se- there was a season where the whole boxing thing I was telling you about, it became to, to where I when I realized that I'm like, I knew the commitment that I made to my son that day. And and I am one that once I if I say it, I mean, it, I mean, it, and I say it. And I said, son, I, I promise you. And I looked him in his eyes and, and I was trying to love on him and. And he was like, yeah, dad, whatever. This is weird. And uh, at that time, and I said, son, I promise you that no matter what, like I, I will live this thing out. I, I promise you that. So so I was I told him I, I'm willing to like and I was going to let go. I had, a, you know, my my top uh, boxing prospect, 25 and I was a pro. And I'm like, listen, 
my kids at that point, even my wife, and I was serious about it. It's not like I'm just bluffing that I'll, yeah, I'll yeah, leave yeah. everything for you guys. Yeah. And it was, but it was a heart, it's something that happened in my heart though. Because for me to walk away from boxing and, and all the people that I met and the identity that I had wrapped up in it, I realized that the most important identity, that, that the, most, the thing I was gonna be most responsible for that I was called the steward was my family. And I remember having this vision of saying that one day when I get to heaven, and, and I'm waiting for God to be able to tell me either well done or, or, or smack me upside my head, that all he was all I was gonna need to do was just to turn around and look at the legacy that I left behind me. Mm. And to see what what did my what did the generations behind me what was the result of that was gonna be my greatest um I guess reward was what I left behind. And and so that became my my ultimate was just saying, you know what? Um, I'm willing, this is the most important. So I, I say that to say that I took a season, a, a period of time, where it was about five to six years, and, and wow. I, I quit trying to save the world. I quit trying to save the world where I'm That's like, good. you know, if my ministry time's over, if everything's over, I'm taking this space. And I, the greatest thing that I can leave here doing is have teaching my children how to have a, a personal relationship with Jesus. And what that looks like, and for them to see the benefits of when I spend time connected to my creator, to my father, I'm a better brother and I'm a better sister. And, and, and so like, and so my kids started to recognize at a young age. So, so I knew that the best thing, my most important role was to teach them and to allow for them to connect with Jesus in a real and raw way where it was their choice where they saw the benefits in it, where we'd go and we'd spend time worshiping, we'd spend time reading. And they knew that it wasn't just because I said it, yeah. because they knew they were better people because of it. And so that, that was the, so, so that time that I took in doing that, especially in the, the, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11, leading into those teenage years was so important um, for, for my children. And, and then transitioning into the other part of the, the question is, is I, I didn't know if I was ever gonna do ministry again. Yeah. But now I see what God did in those five to six years was teaching me how to be a father and prioritize my family to where they never questioned. And we knew what it felt like for the church to, to be second because mm -hmm. I'm called to be a father before I'm called to be a minister. So if it ever came down to one of the kids at the church and one of my own kids, my kids know who I'm going to choose. And that's yeah. who I'm, I have my greatest responsibility for. So, um, you know, just seeing that and seeing the way that they were able to, uh, uh, then they began to, to, to uh, be a part of everything that, that this, and I guess it's the second round as far as ministry goes. Um, but to see the way that they responded once they knew that they, I had their hearts going back to that. Once I knew that I had their hearts and, and we had established that relationship, no matter what things they did or didn't do or fallings that they had, they knew that I, there was a security that they had in who I, who God was to them based off of who I was to them. And it goes back to being an image bearer. Um, so th that was the, I think the greatest thing is this to, to understand that, and I, I had to come to that realization, I'll say this and I'll, I'll flip it back to you um, and, and let you tell me the part of the question I didn't answer. But um, the, uh, when I realized that I would, I could go out and I could save the, I could go out and try to save the world. And us type A personalities, we have that. I'm gonna go save the world. Yeah. I'm gonna do, and to have that mentality and to realize that I could go out and save the world. I could save this young man 
who, who was a professional boxer and I could have this great career with him. I could go out and save this person and that person and create this, this identity. But if I, all at the cost of losing my family, everything that I built would, would, would fall, it would crumble. Yeah. And, and, that, and then when I, I came, I'm a math guy. And he said that if you can duplicate what, who you are in each of your children and the relationship you and I have, Daniel, with each one of your kids, now you've got four times the number of people going out there into the world to make a difference. Yeah. And so you're, you're, you've just increased your odds in being able to go out there and do that. So that was just a piece for me that, that I, I had to come to a place where like, I don't care if ministry ever comes back along. I know my greatest ministry is, is creating disciples in my own home. No, totally. And, and I would say too, for some people, like I've realized, like I still have, I never thought I was going to preach again. Right. And I've told, I've told Daniel this, we've had some conversations about it. Um, I'm actually not preaching at the church I talked to you about, but, uh, eventually oh, I, oh. I will. Uh, it's, yeah. But, um, I just, I decided Lord said no for that one, but, um, but I never thought I would again, but now the Lord's kind of brought that back up. And so I do have on my heart a little bit, you know, this thought of maybe I'll travel and preach again a little bit and, and go to a few places and stuff. But I do have enough of an awareness of the season that I'm in, which I have young children. Mm-hmm. And I go, maybe that will come to a, a time, but I know that in my current season, this is what I need to be prioritizing and stewarding. And so I think having that awareness too of like, hey, like whether that's your career, whether that's, you know, your marriage, whether that's you individually, right? Just realize like the season that you're in. Like for some of us, some of the people listening that might, might not have kids, right? And like, well, how's this relevant to me? Right. Well, like look at the season that you're in, right? Like look at what God's doing in the season, how he's molding you, how he's shaping you, right? Like what he wants you to prioritize. And the same thing for me, I'm like, okay, right now in the season, like, I am super apprehensive. I've, I've been like that with, with Pastor Daniel and Pastor Marty with my involvement with Real, Reveal Church because um, I want to be careful that I don't like repeat the mistakes I made before because a lot of my mistakes happened in a place of like doing it for the Lord um, in the name of the Lord, but maybe good not intentions. good intentions, but maybe actually not obedient yeah. to God. And you, you know, right. hear me today, like you could be doing something for God in his name, but without his calling, you know what I'm saying? Like, like cause he's like, Hey, I'm actually, I know, right, right. I know, know you're trying to do this, but I'm, I'm actually wanting you to prioritize something else, Donald. And so I think just having an awareness of the season you're in, what God wants to do in your life, you know, some of you go, but I have a dream. I have, yeah, I get that. I get it. But you're, you know, first and foremost, you're, you're called to, uh, um, to steward your family, steward your kids. Like, and you, you look at the, the new Testament and they talk about like deacons and elders, right. And leaders of the church. And it's like, Hey, if you know, you need to take care of your family before you lead other people. And if you can't do that, then you shouldn't be in that position. Um, and then there's obviously the, I was looking it up as you're talking Proverbs 22, six, which is train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Right. And so, that means like, hey, as I, I, we need to be training them up as they go, right? Like, and that's and that talks about the ninety percent thing you're talking about is like, hey, man, like, um, we we don't we don't train them that like you have to go to church. We train them of why you go to church. We train them mm-hmm. why Jesus that's is good. so important. And really, a lot of that is displayed out of the abundance of your relationship with Jesus. So we're not teaching religious behaviors. 
but we're teaching a lifestyle of humility, of repentance, and of transformation. And when we show that, then it can be caught because that's the difference is we're trying to, this is, this is the difference between discipleship, right? Discipleship is not about teaching. It's about catching. It's about walking with somebody and seeing their life, seeing their failures, seeing their successes, and catching it. That's that's the key. And really, that's how we should be leading our kids in the long run is, yes, we need to teach them some life lessons. I get it. But if all we're doing is teaching and they're not catching our life, then we really need to check ourselves and go, all right, God, how much of a priority are you in my life? How much, how much of a priority is church in my life? You know, have we... Um, have we s- went crazy on our schedule and I, I get it. I'm about to, I'm about to step on some toes, especially if people see that pastor Daniel's on and I get some, some youth parents that are listening to this. How many sports events are we doing? Are we scheduling? What, what type of culture and what type of lifestyle are we training our kids in as a family and individually with what you're allowing them to prioritize because they will continue that same lifestyle into adulthood. So if it's working a lot, if it's participating a lot in a lot of hobbies, if it's watching a ton of TV and it's not participating in prayer, reading the word, going to church, not to say it's impossible, but you're really making it hard for that, that us to change the ratio of 90%. Right. Which is, you know, that's that percentage that Pastor Daniel was saying, right, like that there's tons and tons of young people that are leaving the church. So I think um, I think that's key. I think maybe the last thing because you said maybe the question you didn't answer. What would you say, like in the church we can do? Maybe not even you, but like what you can like at even at our church, both as you know, as probably more for adults, I would say, what can we do? Um, for others who are dealing with fatherlessness or for, for young people who maybe don't have that type of role model in their life? You know, and I, I do think that there's something about um, just, like I said in the beginning, the goal is, is to be whole. And it's not that you ever get to a place of wholeness, but, um, you know, I think that's one of the greatest things that, that I could have learned at a younger age was was learning how to be whole mm. and, and I think a lot of times it's it's in us as the the um, older generations or, or the generations that are leading them is to is to I think uh, self-reflect and say these are some places where I'm not whole and, and I think leading in wholeness and, and it's not and sometimes we try to act like we have wholeness yeah, together yeah, yeah. but if yeah, we're really, really honest good. we're really we're really honest in it it's like I am far from being whole. Mm-hmm. If anything, I'm more of a something whole. A lot of times, you know, and it's <laughs> <laughs> it's that you. I don't know where your mind was going, but um, yeah, 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 no, So a lot of times, I, I I think that the uh, like our desire to be whole, it's something that that I recognize that it is going to be something for the rest of my life. And 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 I've seen the most power in old, the older generation having influence in the younger generation is just being honest. It was my honesty with my children and recognizing and letting them know that, like, listen, I don't have it all together. That's not an excuse for me not to continue to get it together. That's not where we stop. It's saying, look, we don't have it together. You know, we just did the best we could. I mean, okay, that's kind of a cop out, too, I feel. I I feel like it's our responsibility to be able to emulate what wholeness looks like and to continue to grow in wholeness as well. Um, Because I think that's the biggest thing in all these young people. And what they're looking for is you've got a bunch of 
um, young people that, that, that just have these, that either have half of a heart or their hearts are, they're under, um, uh, under, uh, I was trying to think, uh, underdeveloped. And, yeah. and so they're trying to, they don't even know what wholeness looks like. And I think yeah. that one of the, but they should be able to see that in, mm-hmm. in the church. And I, I think that's where my transparency with a lot of the young people, because uh, a, a majority of our young people at church have come from, I always said the two, the two things that we combat is, is, is bad religion and bad fathers. And that's not a knock on fathers, just a reality. And I was, I'm a part of, I've been a part of that. Yeah. And so, um, recognize and realizing that those are two of the things that, that, uh, um, you know, they need to, they need to be able to see what it looks like. They need to be able to see, even in this whole political, all the political stuff that's taking place, what does it look like? What is a whole person that's not an extreme and extreme, but what does it look like to be whole? What does it look like to find balance? What does it look like to do those things? And if they can't see that in the church, like where we're supposed to be the light. And so I think the responsibility is, is a lot of uh, not to be, um, cliche with it, but if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, and there's a humility that we have to, you know, take as the older generation, because I'm older than you, Don, uh, a little bit, but oh, yeah. um, Just barely, but we have to, we have to, no, <laughs> we have to take a responsibility in that and saying, man, you know what, we've, we've, uh, we want to blame the young people and say, oh, this mixed up, young, this young generation, but mm, who are their parents? What are, like who, who? Oh yeah, that's right. We, we were their parents, so we created this generation. So I think it's our responsibility to, to really be honest and become whole and, and take that journey ahead of them and for them, so that we can kind of lead them in that. Because you have, I always say, learn it, mm-hmm. live it, and lead it. And we've never really lived wholeness, so we can't really lead wholeness. Yeah. The the quote I was thinking of um, is. Let me see if I can find it real quick. I don't know if it's going to show up. Uh, I can't find it right now. But it was like something along the lines of like one generation's compromises is the next generation's mm-hmm. like standards, right? And so, um, you know, not to play the blame game, but there there is a component to that. The other thing I thought was really fascinating, um, and it was kind of like actually very similar to what I was seeing with, with me and, and as parents with like um, – with. Uh, being an example for your kids, but I think it's really good is sometimes, you know, in the older, older generation is, you know, I'm, I'm an older generation now to, to Gen Zers. Right. Um, and so I gotta, I gotta realize that. Right. So, uh, but what's fascinating is like what you said was wholeness. And so what that means is that another cop out would be, and this is really good. This is, we need to clip this for, for anybody who's, who's honestly older than, older than 50, I would say, especially, but a cop out would be if you're older to say, Hey, these are the mistakes I made. Don't make those same mistakes. The difference in what you're saying is, okay, now that you've realized you made the mistakes, have you began the process of pursuing wholeness now of letting God restore you and heal you? Because sometimes, unfortunately, you know, it's the same way as people talk all, all the times. Don't give up on your 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 dreams, no matter how old you are. Also, don't give up on the process that God wants to do in your life, no matter how young or old you are. And that God wants to mm-hmm. radically impact your life. That this thing called sanctification of of doing a process with inside of you. Yes, it doesn't get complete fully until we're in heaven. I get that whole thought process, but but that like wholeness displayed 
is probably one of the most powerful things we can do for the other generations. So instead of saying, hey, don't do what I did, no, how about you start to go through that process? And also, I, I, I firmly believe, sincerely, in my life, I can say this for sure, and I've seen it in other lives too, is that when you go through the process of healing, of restoration, of letting the Holy Spirit do a work in your life, and you start to do that, you have greater patience, greater grace, and greater discernment to see those same things in other people. Because not only have you lived it and gone through it, you've also dealt with it, and then you've also let the Lord restore you and heal you from it. And so from that, then you can display it, right? And you can... um, and you can be able to, uh, you know, be able to love on someone. At half the time, it might not even be advice. Half the time is like, I've been there. It's tough. I'm here for you. And and so I think I think that's that's spot on. You know, it's just like, man, let's not be afraid of letting God transform our lives and never being done with it. Here's something that was really fascinating in the last two years. That's good. That's so good. So good. The last two years, it's been really. This is a really, really fun experience I had. I had, I've, I've had an on and off addiction to pornography for I don't know, well over a decade, and struggled with lust. And as, as, I, as I still fight that, and and the, and the Lord's still like working on me with it, but I'm, I'm making strides and I'm, I'm making those decisions. But what started happening is as I've slowly overcome those things, um, <laughs> I all of a sudden I realize I'm like, wait a second. I got patience issues. Wait a second. I sometimes have a temper. Wait a second. I I actually I I'm a little prideful sometimes. I'm a little of a co- I'm a, a little bit of a cocky sucker, dude. Like I and I I just I because I thought this one struggle, this one thing I I was like this prevalent thing in my life. I thought, "Well, this is it." And then what was fascinating was I, once, once I started dealing and addressing that, Lord's like, "Oh yeah, hey man. Um, also, uh, we got to work on these things." And I was like, "Holy smokes! What? Where did these come from?" And it, and and so that's why, you know, honestly, like, don't be afraid of that process because really, the whole goal, the whole goal of it is the what Jesus, what God initially had for your life, how he initially wired you, what what he wanted the best for your life to be before sin entered in, before the mistakes that you made, that's what he's heading towards, right? Through his grace and through his mercy and through his love. And so there is a process there that the Lord wants to do in our lives and it's continual. And and little by little, different things in your life you might go are bigger and smaller, doesn't matter that God wants to continue to work on in you so that you can live a more fulfilled life, uh, be more available for his spirit to use, and also live in greater freedom just because what? Oh, so you can do more for him? No, because he loves you, because you're his kid, and he, and he wants you to be happy. And he, has, he doesn't want you to keep making those same mistakes or struggling those same ways, and because some of those struggles that you faced, some of those things you've gone through is really because there's some other roots there that you think it's this behavior or you think it's all oh, just because of this, but there's actually something deeper that he's trying to address so you can live a whole person. And I think um, this is way going a little bit off off track, a little bit off of what you said, but I do think that we have to hit that on the head because for some people they go, well, this is just it. I've lived my life. 
and know like there, I've met people that have had unforgiveness in their life for 30 years. Like, and then it's time to finally get freedom from that. Never think that you're too old or it's too late for God to transform or do something in your heart. No, that's, that's, uh, yeah, that's so good, man. That, that really is. That really is. And, and that's one thing I had to realize with my father as well is, is, uh, when you realize that, you know what, um, God still had to do, um, and I love that phrase that, that in order for him, because we always want people to change, especially people close to us, uh, we, our lives would just be easier if they would just change. And uh, uh, they, going off of what you're saying is, is it was uh, whether it be with my wife, with my children, with my father, in order for God to do something, he first had to do something in me. Yeah. Before he could do what he needed to do through me. And I wanted 100%. someone else to come along and just tell him and then they change. And it, well, now he's like, listen, I'm going to use you, but I got to You got to let me do something in you first. Yeah. And that's when even, you know, when you look at it, I don't deserve this dad. Like my dad, man, I, 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 de- I deserve to be, I can be bitter at you. I, I can, I can sit there and keep saying things about how, who you aren't. And it's like, no, 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 no. No, you still, like you said, those things, there's still some stuff in there yeah. that we got to deal with. And, and so, um, yeah, it's, uh, you're, I, I love, I love what you said there. Cause that really is, <clears throat> that's something that I've had to continue and it doesn't end. It's like no. the sanctification process. We think no. we get to a point that's just, okay, I've arrived. Yeah. No, I thought yeah. I arrived way back, like 10 years ago. And, and I was, and I didn't realize how far I was. Yeah. And, uh, so it's, it's humbling. It's humbling. It is. Well, we're, we're, we're about time. So we'll, you know, I, I'd love to just give, you know, either you guys any, any final thoughts or you have just on this topic in general, um, as we, as we wrap up today. I want to hear what Matt has to say. <laughs> Matt, you've been quiet, bro. I've been quiet today. Yeah. Yes. I'm, just, I'm soaking it all in. So now I'm just like, you know, we had a kid uh, when I was growing up, like, I lost my dad when I was 19. So like it hits hard having, not having a dad. And, you know, I find that that is true at the, between the 14 and 17 range is huge to have the dad in place. And so it's just, you know, you don't realize that until after, and especially once they're gone. So, um, it's just, you guys got to be there for your kids Mm -hmm. no matter what spiritually is huge because that's my dad was always like talking about the sports uh he would always go up to the coach saying hey my kid has church he can't be here on wednesday nights for practice if we have practice six o'clock we gotta be out of here by six forty-five to get to church in time so that's just the way you're instilled and the way you're raised up definitely hits you hard at that age so yeah, yeah. that's just what i have real quick no that's good no, that is that is good, and and I, what I love about it is, is whether you have children or you don't have children, um, you can stand in a room. Women, men, it doesn't make any difference. There is something deep within all of us that that you either reflect forward as 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 who your father was or the father that you're becoming. But the reason why I, I love it is because it's there's everybody has that, and, and not knowing that the whole time, Matt either that you did lose your father and just understanding that, um, you know, just the, the impact that that has. And, and, uh, probably, you know, in a whole nother session, we could talk or even talk offline of just 
wondering how that's impacted you. You know, I, I couldn't imagine that. And so it's like, uh, um, you know, just knowing how, uh, what a weight that it is. And, and then so you look and like he's telling us, um, Don is, is like, you guys just, just, just don't forget about your kids. Don't forget. You never know. You never know what, what that window of time, like you said earlier, Don, it's so important. And uh, like I said, I, I know it's what I'll be most responsible for. And it's a, it's a passion that I have of, of the last verse in, in Malachi where it talks about the healing of the land. It's that transitional verse, I think, between the Old Testament and the New Testament of, 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 of turning the hearts of the fathers to their children and, and turning the hearts of the children to their fathers. Um, it's just something powerful in that that is, has uh, been impressed upon my heart. And um, it, it's, uh, it's my, my uh, I guess, my life's mission is uh is just to just to make as big an impact as i can in any way that i can mm. you know for the rest of my life but it's awesome it's good stuff man great conversation we uh just want to thank you pastor daniel for joining us today and um hope hope everyone is encouraged and i get sometimes this is a this is definitely a, always a heavy topic because some people might have uh different examples of fathers you know i had a I, I have a, a great father, but there was dysfunction there, um, you know, and, uh, you know, that's okay. You know, I'm, I'm dysfunctional too. Right. So, um, and so I have a perfect father. I yeah, mean, yeah, no. we're people's G God and how God, are we going to have, a, yeah. I mean, exactly. No, hundred percent. So. And, you know, and just know that for those that are listening who maybe don't have a dad or, or the best example is of a dad, like, you know, God wants to be our heavenly father. You know, you have the story of the children, running up to Jesus and the disciples like trying to be like bouncers at the club. And he's like, Hey, let the, let the little ones come to me. Right. And so mm -hmm. that the, these such as the, the kingdom of heaven, right? Like this was a priority for Jesus and um, you know, the widows and the orphans as, as we heard about with the early church of acts and how much of a priority was those were, were those things. Right. And so I think that, um, you know, know that God, you know, loves those people and whether they're, you know, literally orphans or even spiritual orphans right um that right. we can be that for others or if 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 that's you that god can be that for you right and that the church can help surround you with that so um but god bless you guys we love you very much and once again we are on youtube spotify and apple Podcasts. make sure to subscribe on youtube and uh leave us a review on apple if it's five stars i'd greatly appreciate it helps with uh helps with kind of popping up in people's feeds and uh yeah we'll see you next week <laughs>